So um, uh, we're in Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 18, and we're going to go to Mark chapter 3, verse 6. And uh, the scripture will come up if you don't have your Bible with you. And it says this, Now Jesus, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, that's to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look at what they are doing, what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abitha the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see what he, if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, had counsel with the Herodians against him, and looked how they could destroy him. Father, help me by your Spirit. I pray that I would communicate well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you bring this to life, this portion, that we might learn from you, and that we might become more and more like Jesus and live out our lives in a way that honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, I looked at uh, Jesus as the friendly Savior. Uh, we looked at the way that Jesus forgave sins and called and loved people that the religious people of the day had wanted to have nothing to do with. So we looked at, at, at Levi. And that's really Jesus. That's the kind of Jesus that we love, isn't it? Jesus who loves those that no one else wants to love. Jesus who forgives. Jesus whose heart is always towards us for our good. Um, and that's the, the Jesus that I love. Uh, the, that's the Jesus that I want to get to know more and more. But you see, that's the very same Jesus that um, more and more became the enemy of the religious elite, uh, elite, the Pharisees. And so here in this portion, we see increasingly that they became more and more hostile to Jesus 
to his person, who he was, to the work that he was doing. And we see in these verses this morning how that hostility gets clearer and becomes more clear and obvious. And there are three examples of, of this hostility that's growing towards Jesus. And they're very simple things. And so I'm going to try and just say one thing about each of these three things, all right? And discipline myself if I can. So there are three things. The first is the question of why don't your disciples fast like all the other good religious people? And then secondly, there's a challenge on why Jesus' disciples pick grain on the Sabbath. And third, at the beginning of chapter 3, there's this challenge to Jesus directly as why he chooses to heal a man on the Sabbath. It's quite possible that these events did happen in this order. As we've seen before, um, Mark is, is, is um, anxious to show things quickly in the, in the way that they happened. And so it's quite possible that these three things did happen uh, one after the other. And again, I want to just highlight that Mark is, dis, is, is describing this growing enmity, this growing hostility to, uh, towards Jesus. And so the first thing I want to say out of, out of the issue about fasting is this, is that Jesus' ministry, his kingdom, was a whole new move in the kingdom of God. And this is what I mean. It becomes clear as we look at this issue of fasting. Jesus and his disciples have a different view on fasting than the Pharisees do and John's disciples do. For Jesus, fasting was a good thing, but it wasn't a rigid law. It wasn't something that was rigid in his life, and he, he, he honored it, but it wasn't a rigid law for, for him. So if we read Matthew 6, for example, I've quoted this before. This is what Jesus has to say about fasting. He says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting might be seen by, by others. Truly, and he's talking directly to the Pharisees there. Um, and Jesus is being very, very direct. They would, put sack, they would put ashes on their face. They would let everyone know that they were fasting when they fasted. Truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, don't let anyone know that you're fasting, that it might not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what surprises these people is that Jesus' disciples didn't seem to fast in the way that the religious order of the day did. John's disciples had a routine of fasting. The Pharisees, most of them, who were not even saved, they were kind of religious people, also had a routine of fasting. But it seemed like Jesus and his disciples didn't have that same routine. And the question is, why? Well, I want to point you to this, that in all of Judaism, there was only one day that the Jews were expect, expected to fast on under the law. One day in the entire year, that was the day of atonement. And that's when the whole nation would come together, confess their sins, and there was a, uh, a forgiveness of sins that was demonstrated on the day of atonement. One day under the law where they were called to fast. But the stricter Jews, like the Pharisees, fasted twice a week. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays from sunrise to sundown. In other words, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then uh, they could eat normally after sundown. And so I want to just reiterate again, Jesus was not against fasting. And there were very good reasons why we might choose to fast. We might choose to fast to deny some things in our lives out of discipline so that those things don't get a hold on us or have control over us. So it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to fast. We want to, we want to show that we don't love those things so much that they, 
that we can't give them up. And that's a very positive thing. That's a, that's a good thing. Also, we, some people might choose to go, go without things so they can learn to appreciate things more. And that's also a very powerful thing. But the trouble with the Pharisees, here's the point. The trouble with the Pharisees is that far too many cases, their fasting was a show. It was a display for other people to see. It was to draw attention to themselves and their goodness and their piety. And so they went around with whitewashed faces so everyone could see they were fasting. They went around in old clothes that were tattered on the day that they were fasting so everyone could see they were fasting. They were trying to get God's attention and show Him just how pious, just how religious, just how good they were. And this is what Jesus, this is what he, the practice that He, 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 he heads directly against and challenges directly and he uses the the thing that he uses to do that is this beautiful picture of a jewish wedding so here you know the the jews celebrated differently to 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 how we celebrate a wedding they didn't go away on honeymoon afterwards they stayed at home with their extended family and their friends and they had an open house for a whole week in which they celebrated with their friends and family the whole week Many of them led difficult lives, simple lives, and it probably would have been the most happy and free week of their entire lives when they didn't have to work at all. And so it was a time of happiness, feasting, where their closest friends of the bride and groom celebrated with them. And so Jesus uses this picture of a Jewish wedding and compares his disciples to the guests, the chosen guests that have been asked to come and celebrate at the, the, the wedding of the bride and groom. And in fact, there was a ruling uh, under the, the, the rabbinical law that anyone who was in attendance uh, on the bridegroom was relieved of all religious observances which would lessen their joy, right? So even the rabbis said that the chosen we wedding guests we're exempt from any kind of fasting for that week. And this is what the whole point is that Jesus is bringing to the Pharisees. He's saying that fasting is only for special occasions and not for enjoyable times. You don't fast when you're celebrating. And so Jesus is saying that his kingdom and his ministry is a whole new thing of great joy. And while the bridegroom is with those that are celebrating, you don't fast. You celebrate. Do you get it? He's saying, I'm here as the, 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 the groom, and I'm celebrating with all of these people. They are the chosen gift, the guests that I've invited to, to this wedding celebration. My kingdom has come. It's a whole new thing that I'm doing, and it's not a time for fasting right now. It's a time for celebrating. That's what Jesus is saying. And so he says also directly that after his death and resurrection, he would be taken away from them, and then there would be tough times for the church then there would be moments when they would need to fast. But for the moment, Jesus was not following the practice of John the Baptist or the Pharisees. And then he, after he's used this picture of this amazing wedding feast, he uses this illustration of the new wine. And he's saying, in effect, he's saying, my kingdom, my new thing that I'm doing, it's not just a patch on the old. It's not just trying to add something new to the existing. It's not trying to patch up the old, for example, on John the Baptist or the Pharisees or the, their way of, of viewing. It's a completely new thing that I'm doing. And that's why he says new wine requires a new wineskin. There's a new movement that Jesus is, 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 is initiating in the kingdom of God, and that requires a whole new structure. It requires a whole new way of viewing God. It, it requires a whole new way of relating together. 
And so basically, there's a time when patching up, the time for patching up is over. Uh, we've just celebrated uh, uh, October the 31st is the um, anniversary of the Reformation. don't know if you know that. Last year it was many hundred years um, since Luther first nailed his thesis to that door. And in Luther's time, he realized that the time for patching over what the Catholic Church was saying was over. He couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't just come and add a, a patch over that. It required a whole new structure, a whole new way of viewing things. And so that's why Luther broke away and became part of the Reformation that we now call the Reformation. John Wesley, here in the UK, realized that the time for the Church of England and its existing structure was over for him, and he couldn't just patch it up anymore. He said, no, there's a new move. There's a new thing that needs to be done. And so he started the Methodist movement. What's my point? My point is there are times when we can no longer just patch things up. It's time for a whole new thing that God is doing. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is a whole new thing. You cannot just patch up the old. It's a new thing. It's a new thing of how you see forgiveness. It's a new thing of how you see your father. It's a new thing as how you view grace and forgiveness in your life. It's a whole new thing. God wants to know you as a father, and he wants to know you as a son and a daughter. It's a whole new thing. Don't just try and patch up the old. Are you with me? And so to, for that to happen, Jesus says, the, 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 the insinuation here is an encouragement for all of us, is that we need soft hearts. The thing about wineskins is that they are elastic, they're supple. And as they become older, they become harder and more unyielding. And so fermenting wine, which is new, obviously causes gas which in, in, in turn causes pressure. And so what is dry and old will explode when exposed to new wine. So both the wine and the wineskin are lost. And so Jesus really, even though he's speaking to the Pharisees and he's speaking to those people in that context, he's pleading to you and me through the scripture. And he's saying to all of us, every one of us needs a soft heart. Every one of us needs a heart that is supple and elastic that can then contain something of the new wine so that it will not burst. Are you with me? What did Jesus, what did the Old Testament prophet, uh, prophets prophesy? I will give you, take out your heart of stone, and I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. And all of us need soft hearts. Can I appeal to you this morning? All of us that are growing older, what, what is the tendency of when you grow old? You start to get uncomfortable with what's unfamiliar. And I want to put it to you that as things grow technologically faster and faster, all of us are under stress all the time to try and embrace the new and keep up with the new. Do you feel that stress? Even young people are feeling that stress. Technological advances are coming so quickly now that it's a stressful time to live. And yet in all of that, our hearts need to be open and soft that we can embrace the new thing that God is doing and talk about new ways that God wants to minister his gospel to the generation that we are now part of. I love the story of Abraham. You know, it says in Hebrews 11, it says right throughout his life, Abraham didn't know what he was going, where he was going, but he walked by faith. Do you remember that? And, if, and Abraham is, a, is, is the first Christian, really, that was saved and walked by the Spirit and was an example to us before Christ even came. But there's another wonderful verse in, in, in Hebrews 11:21, which says, talking about Abraham at the end of his life, uh, of, of Jacob rather, it says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed of his, each of the sons of Joseph, 
bowing in worship over the head of his staff. I love that. Why? Because the staff was a, was a symbol of traveling. It was a symbol of walking. You walked with your staff. It was there to support you. And right at the end of his days, he still has the staff in his hand. He's still communicating to his sons. He's blessing them. But he's saying, I'm still ready to walk on with God. Amen? So I want to encourage you, whether you're young and starting out in your life, or the middle age like me, or whether you're old like, no, I can't say that, hey. If you're older, <laughs> that you still will travel with that staff in your hands, saying, God, I'm still on a journey with you. I still have things to do for you. Will you show me? I'm keeping my heart open and soft so that you can speak to me and I can embrace the new things that you are doing. Amen. So that's the first thing. I said three things. That's number one. Jesus says through the view that he has of fasting, he's really saying, my kingdom is completely new. And it doesn't, the old rules don't apply. And while this bride is with us, we celebrate. We have soft hearts that are open to him so we can embrace the new thing that Jesus is bringing. Amen. Number two. I love this. Jesus' kingdom is more gracious than it is legalistic. Everyone say amen to that, please. You see, again, Jesus uses the example of something that happens on the Sabbath. He and his disciples are out for a walk. They're just having a stroll. And it couldn't have been more than a short stroll because under the law, it said you couldn't walk more than a Sabbath day's journey on the Sabbath. That meant a short distance. And so as they are walking, they start to chew on some grain, as you do when you're walking. And when I read this uh, many years ago, I really identified it with it because where I grew up, I grew up uh, in Africa, and uh, the grass grows really high in Africa, and it's, it's, it's very uh, thick. And I remember as a boy walking in the bush and taking grass and pulling it out and chewing on the end. You ever remember doing that, some of you? You chew on the fat end, and it gives you nourishment. And so that's what they were doing. They were, they were just out for a stroll, the disciples and Jesus, and they come across some grain. So they pick the grain, and they start chewing on the grain. And the Pharisees see this, and they begin to complain that Jesus and his disciples are working on the Sabbath, which was forbidden. Now, here's the interesting thing. You see, Jesus technically wasn't even breaking the law of Moses. The law of Moses was written in the Torah. And then the scribes and the Pharisees, they prescribed many, many additional rules and regulations. In fact, hundreds of rules and regulations. And they were contained in something called the Mishnah. The Mishnah was not even the same as the law of Moses. So technically, Jesus is not even breaking the law of Moses. He's breaking the law of Mishnah, the law of the scribes and Pharisees, all the additional things that they had added to the law and forced the people to come under those things. That's what, they, that's what was happening here. And so Jesus, I mean, there were, uh, just for your interest, there were 39 different requirements regarding work on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to reap, winnow, thresh, prepare a meal, walk. Did you know this? That uh, you were allowed to sail on a Sunday, uh, on, on the Sabbath. So today, even today, and I'm not kidding, this is absolutely true, a traditional uh, Hasidic Jew will put 
I'm, 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 I'm amazed when I say this because it's true. We'll put underneath his bottom, if he's driving a car, we'll put a cushion filled with water. Because technically he's then on water, not on the road, and he's not working while he's driving. He is sailing while he's driving. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not, this, is, this is true. That's how weird the law gets. The additional stuff that people put on what God has said. So there were 39 different um, rules and regulations about working on the Sabbath, which were part of the mission. And all this was seen as work. And it seems fantastical to us. But for the rabbis, it was a matter of absolute deadly sin and of death. And what Jesus actually does is to refer back to a story of David, which were, who was Israel's greatest king. And something that he did was, was forbidden, not under the Mishnah, but under the Mosaic law altogether. And so 1 Samuel 21, we know that David helps himself to the consecrated bread in the temple when his men are hungry. And Jesus, he's making a very direct point to the Pharisees. He's saying, you have missed the point altogether. You're not even looking at the right thing. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You've missed the point of the Old Testament altogether, Jesus is saying. He's saying to the Pharisees, you've missed the point of the law altogether. The law is not harsh. It's not restrictive. It's not controlling. The heart of the law is to liberate God's people, and you've missed the point altogether. You have put additional burdens on everyone that they cannot even bear, Jesus is saying. Can you see to me why I say Jesus is always loving, but he's not always polite? We think of Jesus as an Englishman, don't we? Never say anything to offend anyone. Jesus was a man that was offensive to the Pharisees directly, and he took them on, always in a loving way, but not holding back from what he knew was true. And so he's saying, Jesus is saying, Human beings weren't created to be the victims and slaves of rules and regulations for the Sabbath. The Sabbath had been created by God as a time of rest to make their lives better, to give them a re recreation. And this is my point. Legalists in the church, and I'm not angry, I'm just speaking loudly, but I hate legalism. I absolutely hate legalism. Why? Legalists take God's law, what is pure, what is lovely, that's designed to free people, and they add a whole lot of stuff onto it and bring people under burdens to say, that's what you have to do, and it was never the intention of God, ever. And so we have all these rules that people put on other people. If you want to be part of church, these are all the rules. And Jesus, I believe Jesus would spit on that and say, that's not the heart of what my Father in heaven wants for you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to know Him as Father. He wants to, him to, you to know Him as one who forgives and loves and embraces and, and, and embraces those that are unloved by other people. This is the heart of the gospel. Legalists make it so weird that even chewing on a piece of grass is seen as being ungodly. How weird is that? And so... This is the cool thing, that ultimately Jesus' death and, re and resurrection on the cr after the cross would bring release from every single Sabbath rule and regulation altogether. What did Jesus say? I have come to fulfill the law perfectly. And then on the cross he says, it is 
finished. It is done. The way to the Father is open for everyone who would believe by faith in what I've done. And all that stuff, its day has passed. It's gone. I am the new thing. And basically, Jesus is saying to the Jews, I can do as I pleased. As I please. Um, in verse 28, he uses this expression. He calls himself the Son of Man. Verse 28, now that, that could mean just another human being. But for those that would have known, the, the, the Jews called, used that phrase, Son of Man, to point to the Messiah. They were waiting for the Son of Man. So when people say Jesus never claimed to be Messiah, it's absolute nonsense. He claimed to be Messiah often. He has a point where he claims to be Messiah. He says, I am the Son of Man. He's directly saying, he's saying, is, is, um, uh, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And points back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 says this. Daniel has this vision and he says, I saw in the night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And for all the Jews in the Old Testament, they knew that was pointing, that phrase was pointing to the coming Messiah. Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man. I am the Messiah and the Sabbath is there I fulfill it. I, it's, it's there to serve me. I'm not there to serve it. And so Jesus is saying, I can disregard, disregard your law if I like. He's not breaking the Mosaic law. He wanted to bring the Mosaic law to an end, that he was Lord of the Sabbath, but, and that he was Lord of the Mosaic law. So there we have a second thing for us to see. That the new thing of Jesus' kingdom is much more gracious than it is legalistic. And I pray that that would be true for your own life. That you would live by the Spirit. That you would not live by rules. You would not allow people to put stuff on you. That you would be free. Because Jesus has come. That all of us might know life and know freedom. And we can all say amen to that. Point number three. I've got five, five minutes left. Religion is cruel. Religion is cruel. But grace is full of compassion. That's the third thing I'd like you to see out of this portion. There's this remarkable example of Jesus um, embracing this man on the Sabbath. And it's a crucial incident in his life. And it's one of the things that is the final nail in the coffin for Jesus as regards the Pharisees. He's already at loggerheads with them. He's already um, uh, engaged in, in, in verbal conflict with the Pharisees. And uh, they knew that he often healed people that had been demonstrated over and over. So they are waiting here to see if Jesus will heal anyone on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Well, I just want to point to you that Jesus was already incredibly brave even going back to the synagogue because already these guys had determined to kill him. But here's a man with a withered hand. And this is very interesting because the Greek makes it clear here that this withered hand was not, uh, he wasn't born like that. It was something that had happened to him. He had suffered some kind of injury. And so his hand had shriveled and withered. So whether some muscle damage or something had happened that he couldn't use his hand anymore, it was a withered hand. He hadn't been born like that and it, as a result of something else. And Jesus knows that the Pharisees are trying to trap him. And they, he knows the, the, the Mishnah, he knows that work is forbidden on the Sabbath. And healing, can you believe this? Healing is seen as work on the Sabbath. Healing is seen as work on the Sabbath. So for example, uh, this is what I mean. In, under Jewish law, medical attention could only be given to someone if their life was in danger. 
on the Sabbath. So, for example, a woman who was in childbirth on the Sabbath could be helped. Uh, a throat infection could be treated. But if a wall fell on you, you could clear the wall away to see that the person was alive. If the person was alive, you could help them. If they were dead, you had to leave them until the next day because removing the body was seen as work under the Jewish law. If you had a fracture in your arm, for example, you could not be attended to. You could pour water on your arm uh, and to relieve the pain of it, but you couldn't put a bandage on it or you couldn't treat it in any way or you couldn't put ointment on the cut because that would be work. So in other words, you could attend the injury to keep it from getting worse, but you couldn't do anything to make it better because that was seen under mission of law as work and you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. And I was amazed when I was researching this because, you know, even under strict Jewish law, Jews would not even defend their own lives on the Sabbath. And why do I say that? Well, we know that historically um, Josephus is a, is a Jewish historian who documented the history of, of the Jewish people. And there was a famous battle that happened when the Maccabees rose up against um, the Syrians and they resisted them. And so under the war of the Maccabees, Josephus tells us that the Syrians gave the Jew, Jewish people a chance to surrender, which they wouldn't do. And so the Syrians chose to, fought, to fight against them on the Sabbath because they knew they wouldn't resist. And the Jewish people were, they were um, in caves and basically they burned them alive in the caves and they didn't resist at all because it was a Sabbath day and they would not fight on the Sabbath. That's, that's basic history. You can go read it for yourself. And so... Jesus knew the law. Jesus knew all these additional requirements as well. And he deliberately calls this man towards him. And he deliberately challenges the Pharisees and he makes a simple point to them. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? He is directly challenging them on this belief that they hold. And he's put them in a dilemma. And the, the answer is obvious. And then he asks, he says, is it, is it lawful to save a life? Or to take life. He's just driving his point home. He's saying to them over and over again, the Sabbath was never intended to stop the gracious and compassionate kingdom of God moving into people's lives and transforming their lives. And the Pharisees are trapped. They've got no answer. But they're not willing to change either. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus looks at them and it says, He is grieved in his heart and he is angry with them for their hardness of heart. And then he heals the man anyway. <laughs> you see, I think Mark chapter 3 verse 6 is the point that Jesus, uh, that Mark has been leading us to. And it says that, do you notice it says the final verse, it says, the Pharisees begin to plot with the Herodians to kill Jesus. Now, why does Mark even mention the Herodians? Who were they? Well, the Herodians didn't care one little bit about Jewish law. They didn't care about the Roman cult, the, the, the um, Mosaic law or Jewish culture. They were people that supported the Roman government. They were politicians. They had nothing to do with the religious order of the day. And so Mark is saying in a very plain way that these people are so filled with hatred 
for Jesus. And they want to do away with him so badly that they begin to plot with those that wanted to undermine the Jewish authority anyway and wanted to be complicit with the Romans, the Herodians, in a political way. They begin to plot with them to do away with Jesus. See, religion does that. Makes you crazy. Makes you hateful. Makes you cruel. Makes you blind. Foolish. That's what religion does. And so breaking the law became so important to the Pharisees that they didn't even care who they were working with. They just wanted to get rid of Jesus. But I want to remind you again this morning, the grace of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, it's full of mercy, it's full of compassion, it's full of peace, it's full of joy. It reaches out to those that no one else wants to reach out to. It's lovely, it's kind, it's compassionate in every way. And Jesus is demonstrating through his life in these examples that he's bringing a new kingdom. He's bringing something completely new that's full of joy, full of forgiveness, full of love. And it's a new wine to us if we'll embrace it. And he wants to pour out that new wine to all that will receive it with soft hearts. So I want to plead with you. I want to encourage you with you this morning. Let us be those that have soft hearts. Let every one of us be those that extend grace and kindness to others at every opportunity. Is it Amos that says, mercy always triumphs over judgment? Amen. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. Jesus wants to bring healing to our friends, our families, those that don't know him yet. And it's going to come by the new wine of his kingdom. It's not going to come by religious rules. It's not going to come by putting stuff on people and saying, unless you do that, you're not going to please your Father in heaven. No, Jesus did away with all of that. And he demonstrated it here. Such practical ways. No, my kingdom is gracious, kind, compassionate, forgiving. You can come to God as your Father. You can know him as your Father. I've made the way open. And all you need to do is believe my faith, that Jesus is who it says he is, and he brings you into relationship with his Father in heaven. And you begin to enjoy a whole new kingdom, a whole new view on life. That's the new one of Jesus' kingdom. Enjoy the new one. Enjoy your life. Live free. Don't let people put stuff on you. Don't let me put stuff on you. Don't let anyone put stuff on you. Jesus has come that you might be free, that you might have life in abundance, full of joy, full of kindness, full of forgiveness, knowing His grace and sharing His grace with others through your life, that many sons and daughters would come to glory. Amen? That's the promise of the gospel, and that's how we should live, because that's what Jesus wants for us, each and every one of us. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you for your kingdom. We want to thank you for the new thing that you brought. Thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is not cruel, but it's full of grace. It's full of compassion. Thank you, Lord, that you've done a new thing. Thank you, Lord, that all of us can enjoy the new wine of your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that they would radically touch our hearts, that it would transform us. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live with soft hearts, open to the new things that you're doing, accepting new truth that you're bringing, thinking about new ways of communicating your kingdom to those that we love. Lord, that we would be like Jacob by the end of, the, of his life when he was blessing his, 
his sons, still had the staff in his hand, still was saying, I'm walking with the Lord even at the end of my days. Lord, help us to be like that by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, not to put stuff on people. Lord, we love your law. Your law is good. Your law was always created that we might know you, that we might be free. And Lord, we, we pray that you'd help us to live like that, that we wouldn't put stuff on people, try and manipulate them into doing stuff, but Lord, that we would point them to you, that they would live by your Spirit, and they would know you as the gracious and kind King who is full of mercy and full of compassion. Help us to be those that extend your kingdom in that way. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Everyone says, Amen.